Good morning, New Life Manitou. I'm Danae Glass. Would you guys stand for the reading of the word? We will be reading out of Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. God, we know that it is not by power and might that your kingdom comes, but it is by your spirit. It is by love. And Lord, as this passage encourages us to do, to, to walk in the way of love, to follow your example, Lord, we pray that you might allow us to do that. You might give us power by your Holy Spirit to walk in the way of love. And we pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Well, you may be seated. Let me tell you a quick story. So in college, as a freshman, you're supposed to take these college, uh, all the general eds, and Art 101 was taken up. It was full already. So I thought, I'll take an Art 400 level senior class as a freshman. Can't be too hard, right? And so I took this art history. It was Renaissance and Baroque period art. And I sat through this class and was listening to the teacher. And he kept talking about Michelangelo and Donatello for weeks, Raphael. And I thought, why in the world are they talking about the Ninja Turtles in this class? I was so lost for three or so weeks. And then I kind of got into it. I started to enjoy this class. Being a Christian, being the only Christian in this class, I had a huge advantage because so much of the Renaissance and the Baroque art is Christian. So I just knew the stories and I was able to, to share, oh, this is this and that's, uh, this is obviously Jesus. That's Matthew. See the money on the table? And they, even the teacher was like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. That's, that's kind of cool. And so I got into it and I, I learned the symbols and symbols in art are very important. Of course, if you see a dragon, that represents evil. If you see a halo on somebody, that represents the good guys. If you see uh, someone shooting an arrow at two people, what does that probably mean? Love, eros love. And then I learned uh, the symbol for God's love, agape love, divine love. And I found this to be fascinating. And I, I've kept thinking about it over the years. As, as a freshman in college, an 18-year-old, I didn't think much of this image. But as soon as you see it in art, you'll see it everywhere. You begin to see this uh, symbol in sculpture. Bernini painted it. It's all over Rome, uh, England, and London. There's fountains and Piccadilly Circus. And Buckingham Palace has this particular uh, image, and it's the image for divine love. It's the image for selfless giving. And it is the image, it's very appropriate that it's Mother's Day, this image for divine selfless love throughout the Renaissance and Baroque period, again and again and again, it's used. And it is a symbol of a mother nursing her children. And as a high schooler, as a, as a freshman in college, actually, 18-year-old, I didn't really get that. I was like, can't, can't you just put a shirt on? Like, what, what is this supposed to mean? I didn't really get it. But now, being a little older, being a dad, I'm like, that is an excellent image. It is a beautiful image, a symbol of selfless love, of the love that God has for us. And so if we look at this passage, Ephesians 5.1, it says, follow the example of God. Live as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. I think about that is the image, a, a mother's love for a child and taking time and with her own body feeding and, and caring for this child. That is a wonderful image 
of love. So the sermon title today is Live a Life of Love. And the, and the first point is to follow God's example. Because that's what Paul tells us to do. Paul is our tour guide through the book of Ephesians. We're on this series of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. It's how we are to now live after the resurrection, knowing that Christ has risen from the dead. How are we to live? Ephesians 5, 1 says, follow the example of God. Be imitators of God, some translations say. The Greek word there is mimite, which sounds a lot like the word mimic, like mimic the ways of God. That's how we learn, right? As kids, I have a two-year-old. His name is Max, Maximus. We call him Max for short. He's two, and he will do anything his older brothers do. The other day, one of his older brothers, I won't tell you which one, uh, was, was petting, there's little Theo, he's uh, two, almost three months, uh, one of them was, was petting Theo's head so nicely, and as soon as I turned my head, he took his ha- other hand and just <laughs> smacked Theo in the head. Now, Theo's okay, just a little smack to the face, but I caught it out of the corner of my eye. I was like, get in time out. That's, that's what we do in our house. We, we, we send him to a corner, they have to stand in a corner. I know it's probably child abuse, but, but we have him stand in the corner for slapping or hitting a, a, a little two-year-old baby. And of course, Max saw his older brother do that. So Max, I mean, it just happens so quick. Max walks up, pets little Theo, smacks him, and then just walks, keeps walking, and just stands in time out, as if that's what you're supposed to do. That's not what you're supposed to do. You, you imitate that which we, you see. And of course, babies, uh, little kids, they, they can't help but imitate. In church, I grew up in church, and often the, the pastor would... Um, be up the front, and the kids would come forward, and the kids would sit up front. How, how many of you experienced that as a kid? You got to come up front and listen to a little kid's sermon, and then go back to your seat. And I remember one Sunday that the pastor had this question. He said, how do you know at church what to do? How do you know when to stand? How do you know when to sing? How do you know when to pray? How do you know when to be quiet and listen? How do you know what to do? And he pointed, he just picked on a couple of the older kids, and the older kids had these like uh, ecclesiological, theological uh, answers. They're like, well, to take communion, you, you know, you first have to pray before you take communion, and then after communion you would pray, and then it makes sense to stand and sing. And, and they had all these answers, and then he called on me, and I gave an answer. And I thought, for sure, I'm going to get in trouble from this answer. I'm going to get in trouble, like, in front of everyone because it's a smart aleck answer. And, and so the, the, the pastor called on me and said, well, Joe, why, why do you think, you know, how do you know when to stand and when to sit and, and blah, blah, blah? And I said, well, I just do what everybody else is doing. And the pastor stopped and said, that's exactly right. That's the answer I'm looking for. And to follow the ways of God is to imitate the ways of God. And one of the ways, uh, thinking about the reason why church is so important, one of the reasons, um, well, well, the first reason is that we come, here we are gathered, and we're here to worship the Lord. And it's about the Lord, not about us. But we can certainly get something out of church, and we certainly do get something out of church. And one of the things we can get out of coming to church is seeing the example, seeing other people pray and learning how to pray, seeing the other people being led in, in songs and worship. We can, uh, as, as a community, we can know how to follow God's example by being in this community. That's what we get out of it. And so we are called to follow God's example. That's how Paul starts Ephesians 5, this passage that we're looking at today. He says, follow God's example. And how are we to do that? Well, God is a God who gives. The first act that he does, if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth, and he, makes, he forms them, and that's what God does. So he gives us creation. He gives humanity creation. He says, take care of this creation. This creation is for you, and he calls it good. And we, as, as, as humans, we get to be in the creation, and we have been given this wonderful thing. I used to, uh, my college years, uh, after the art history thing, I, I got really into science and got a degree in science. And I was always fascinated by some physics classes and astronomy classes of just how big the universe is and God's creation. So if I was to hold a soccer ball up here, about this big maybe, then this represented the sun. Well, then somewhere in our parking lots going around an elliptical orbit would be a tiny little peppercorn. And that's the earth going around the sun. And then the next closest sun, if you could believe this, would be about the size of a baseball because it's a little smaller than our sun, which is in this example, a soccer ball. And this is really far away. You'd have to keep walking this way. You'd get into Manitou, uh, downtown Manitou. You'd walk past the springs with this baseball. And then you'd keep walking until you hit Utah. And then you keep walking with this little baseball until you hit Nevada and California. Then you get to the Pacific Ocean and you start swimming. And you keep swimming until you're past Hawaii and you're closer to Japan than you are Hawaii. And that's where the next sun, closest to our sun, the stars, goes. Like, that's huge. That's the closest one. So God, in his awesomeness, in his extravagance, created all of that, calls it good, and then says, you human beings, you take care of this. This is your gift to creation. It's for you to live in. How awesome is that? So if we can learn anything about God's example, it's to give and to give extravagantly. The next sub point here is that God lets us. He tells us that creation is is good. We can do anything we want except for this one thing. And guess what we do as human beings? We do that one thing we were told not to do. And God comes to us and, and, and just this thought that he allowed us to live. He, he, he gives and he, and he lets live. And even when people want to walk away from God, he allows that. That's the kind of love God has for us and that he gives us freedom even at his, you know, it seems like at his expense to walk away from him. I think about, um, this has happened a couple times on Wednesdays, uh, New Life Manitou. Many of you help at the Manitou Springs Pantry every Wednesday and we go, we get a bunch of food. It's really healthy, good food. When I think of a pantry, uh, I think of like cans of beans and dog food and, and, and just stuff. But this is like a really healthy pantry where we give people food. In Manitou, sometimes we feed up to 100 people. And if someone's a non-resident, then we give them a bag and it's filled with apples and oranges and these salads and really good food, healthy food. And then we'll throw in some pastries. And if we have it, like maybe a bag of chips, if we have it, we'll give these bags away to non-residents and they'll thank us for them and they'll walk away. And this has happened now twice where I'll, I'll when I'm done with the, serving at the pantry, I'll go and I'll see a trash can. And in the trash can, I'll see some of our bags that we've just given people. And in the bag is all the healthy stuff, the apples, the oranges, the salads. And what's taken out is just the junk food. And I think, gosh, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm trying to love these people. I'm trying to take care of them. And they're, they're just taking what they want and throwing away the rest. And I think that's what we do. Isn't that what we do before the Lord? And we, we take creation and we just take what we want and we serve ourselves. And God allows us to do that. In his love, he gives us freedom. One final subpoint here is, is that God continues to come to us again and again. If we're going to follow God's example, 
Our God is the God of the song that we sang, Reckless Love of God, that he keeps coming back to us no matter what. Thinking about when humanity turned their back upon God, Genesis chapter 3, they go off, they've sinned, they've eaten from this tree, and Adam and Eve run away, and God, what does he do? He comes running after them, chasing after them. He shows up and says, Basically, he kind of plays dumb because he's God and he knows all things, but he asks a question. Did you do, basically, what, what I told you not to do? And I always wonder, what would happen? What would have happened with humanity if, if in that moment they would have said, we are so sorry, we did do what you told us not to do, but would you forgive us and fall down at the feet of God? But instead, humanity says, nah, I didn't really do it. Adam says, uh, points to the woman and says, you, she took of it. She ate it. The one you put with me, she then gave it to me, and she ate it. Like, she blames instead of asking for forgiveness. So the, the point here is that God continually keeps coming after us and running after us, chasing us down in his love. The second point is this. The first point was follow God's example. And then Paul says, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. As Paul is our tour guide here, he just gets done in chapter 4 talking about the ways of the world. The ways of the world say to hold everything tight. Don't give anything away because you might need it later. The ways of the world say um, to, to just get as much as you can. To, Paul says that the ways of the world are darkened in their understanding in chapter 4. They're separate from the life of God. The ways of the world harden their hearts against God. The ways of the world lose all sensitivity. And the ways of the world are sensual and indulgence and impure. And they're full of every kind of greed. In fact, our word, if we think about the world that we live in, the word love has been extremely distorted. We can say, I love pizza. And and we use the same word for, I love my wife. And we use the same word for, I love a man or two springs. Like all these are very different types of love. And it has been very darkened by our world. I think in in marketing, you can't, uh, seemingly, it's like if you want to sell a hamburger or makeup or clothing, you have to use lust and the lust of the flesh to to sell this thing. And our, our word for love has been so darkened by lust. And people will say things like, um, you know, they, they just want a relationship with no strings attached. They want to get from it what they can and then walk away. And then they want to, at least during that time, slap the label of love on that relationship, which, of course, just putting a label on something does not make it what it is. In Greek, there's four words for love. Maybe some of you know these words. Uh, storge, which is parental love, uh, phileo, which is friendship love. There's eros, which is like a romantic love. And then there is agape. And agape is the divine love. Agape is this selfless love. So when Paul says in Ephesians 5, 1, follow God's way in love, which type of love do you think he's using here? Agape. Yeah, I'm not tricking you. So follow the way of love. We could cross out that, that word love, and we probably should put in the word agape. It makes a lot more sense to us because our word for love in English has been so distorted by the world. Let, let's say, let's walk in the way of agape. So point number three is this, because Paul continues this. He says, 
follow God's example as dearly loved children, and uh, love in the way that Christ loved us. So point three is, as Christ loved us. That's how we are to love. And I often hear people, non-Christians, say, well, well, how can you know who God is? You know, wh- where are you supposed to start? You know, different religions, and, and there's, you know, God is so big. How do we know who God is? Where do we start? Well, as Christians, as followers of the Bible, we believe and hope and know that we should begin and end with Jesus Christ. If you want to know who God is, you have to begin and end. And in the middle is Jesus. He is the perfect representation of God because he is God. And he is one of us. And how did he live? How are we to follow the ways of God and live in his ways? Well, we're to be like Christ. Christ lived humbly. He cared for people. He met people where they are. And people would come to him and ask for help and he would give it. He suffered. He, um, with his disciples, bent down and washed their feet. So the people following him, he then served them. It's like what, a, what an image there of selfless love. He suffered for us, even on the cross while he was suffering. He says to, the, uh, to the God the Father about the people torturing him, he says, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Surely if they knew what they were doing, they, they, they were killing God. And they wouldn't have the final say because God broke the grave and he came out. He conquered the grave. But in that moment, they were killing God. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then Jesus dies for us. Talk about a a wonderful image of what true love is in Jesus. The fourth point is this, that our love, if we are to follow in God's way, it should be a sacrificial offering that is fragrant. Let's reread Ephesians 5.1. It says, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This was our theme at our prayer meeting. On Tuesday nights, we, we usually pick a passage or a verse or a psalm and pray through that uh, for an hour every Tuesday. And this last Tuesday, we had this theme, this reoccurring theme, that the fragrance of God is awesome. The fragrance of God is beautiful. Because we can go out from here saying, okay, I got it. I need to love. And I need to love in the way that God loved us. Okay, extravagant. I need to give. I need to serve. I need to be humble like Christ was humble and have this checkbox of things and just do love out of duty. But that doesn't seem very fragrant. That doesn't seem very beautiful and awesome, does it? But instead, we are to be a fragrant offering, holy and pleasing to the Lord. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like uh, in our congregation, it looks like there's a bunch of people downstairs serving in our children's ministry. So some of these people are moms, and they're giving up their time to serve our kids. My kids are down there probably doing who knows what. And these wonderful people, I think they're all girls down there, Meredith and Heidi and Dominique and Rachel and Melissa, they're down there. Some of them are moms. And they're giving up a Mother's Day, a Sunday morning, to serve. That, that's selfless. That's what love looks like. I think about uh, a guy in our congregation just had back surgery, Dan Wood, and Susan Wood has just been taking care of him. That's what love looks like. That's serving. I think about um, 
Craig Mabus here. He, he's like, I, I want to start a men's ministry because our men, we need to go after the Lord. We need to encourage one another. And so he says, I'll start it. And they're like, where are we going to meet? And he says, my house. That's giving. That's selfless. I think about uh, my mom when she had meningitis uh, just about a year ago. My dad serving her and all the time spent in the hospital serving. That's selfless. That's the gift of love in us to serve others. Let me conclude with this parable I saw uh, not too long ago. It's a parable of a young man and an old man. The young man is eating a fish, and the old man comes to this young man and says, young man, why, why are you eating this fish? And the young man says, because I love fish. And the old man thinks about that and, and says, you love fish, huh? Well, is it because you love fish that you took the fish out of the water and you killed the fish, and you cooked the fish, and ate the fish. And the old man says, don't tell me that you love fish. Tell me really that you love yourself, and you love the taste of fish. That's why you took the fish out of the water, and killed it, and cooked it, and now you're eating it. I think that, that word that we use, love, I think we misuse that word a lot. A lot of the love that we have for people, for situations, for, for different things is a fish kind of love, like we love it because it gives us something, but rather the agape love, the love here that Paul is talking about is a love that gives. It's not a love that takes to make us happy, but it's a love that gives and continually gives. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Jesus, you are the God of the agape love. You are the God of this divine selfless love. And Lord, it is by the power of your resurrection, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, that we have the gift of grace inside of us, that we then can love others. The Holy Spirit, as you've been knocking at, at the, the door of our hearts, we pray that we might find you more and more. We might continually open the door of love to you and to your ways. We praise you, Lord. We love you. You are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to read together uh, a prayer, a prayer of confession and preparation for communion. Would you read this prayer with me as we pray it? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.